the main thing that I would be focused on with all the horses is progression and to to always start out easy or make it very obvious to the horse and um and then build on that and start to challenge them from that and um cross country uh training for our uh four year old horse through to a five star event horse is to still have that progression when you go out there um introducing the exercise or the question to the horse at no matter what age or what level and make sure that they understand it and and build off that so the horse has never uh, never doubted the rider Welcome to Practical Horseman's podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and this week's episode is with top eventer Ryan Wood. A native of Australia, Ryan started competing and eventing at eight years old. He purchased his first horse, an Australian stock horse named Countdown, through a local newspaper for $1,500. Ryan and Countdown moved up through the levels of eventing together, completing their first CCI five-star at Adelaide when they were both 19 years old. Ryan competed successfully throughout Australia, earning top earnings at the Melbourne CCI four-star, Sydney CCI four-star, and Warwick CIC four-star. He trained with and worked for numerous top riders, including Australian eventer Guy Wallace and top champion show jumper Ludger Bierbaum. Ryan moved to the United States in 2008 and started working for Bruce Davidson before moving to Philip Dutton's True Prospect Farm in Unionville, Pennsylvania. He now runs his own business, Woodstock Eventing, out of True Prospect Farm. Since moving to the U.S., Ryan has become one of the top eventers in the country. In 2016, he won the Jersey Fresh CCI 4-star, the Vermont CCI 4-star, and the USEA Adequan Advanced Gold Cup Final at the American Eventing Championships where he also earned the reserve championship. In 2018, Brian finished eighth at the Poe CCI five-star and was named the reserve rider for the Australian eventing team at the World Equestrian Games. In addition to competing, Ryan also enjoys teaching and developing young horses. During our conversation, Ryan shares his overall training philosophy, how to introduce cross-country corners, what he looks for in an eventing prospect, how he deals with the lows of the sport, and more. But first, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, SmartPack. SmartPacks are a simple, foolproof way to make sure your horse always gets the right supplements. All you have to do is choose the supplements that your horse needs, and SmartPack will pack them in convenient, customized daily doses that make feeding time fast and easy. And SmartPacks aren't just easier for you, they're better for your horse too. Because they come in pre-measured doses, are clearly labeled, and sealed for freshness, there's never any doubt that your horse is getting the absolute best. Smart packs are not only better for your horse, but also better for the environment. Unlike most buckets, smart packs are made from 100% recycled PET plastics and can be recycled again. Visit smartpack.com or call 1 800 461 8898 to learn more about how smart pack can help you take great care of your horse today. Now, let's jump right into this episode as Ryan shares how he began riding. 
Well, we grew up in a, a small town about an hour from uh, Sydney City and a small town called Annengrove and everyone had a horse in their backyard. So we actually were uh, a little uh, deprived of a horse and we had a donkey to start, a donkey named Penny. And then, uh, and then once we sort of outgrew the donkey, um, my parents uh, went and bought a pony from the circus called Bucko. And so that was my first pony. So were you and Bucko doing tricks or jumping? Bucko used to throw in uh, tricks, but they were were, uh, were not authorized by the rider. <laughs> and so he used, to, he used to jump a jump and then he'd stop on the other side and put his head down and I'd fall off. And um, and then we'd be lined up in a, a troop drill at Pony Club and he'd be standing on his hind legs waving at the the instructor and uh, so he he was he was a cool little horse but he um he had uh, he had some characteristics that uh, he brought from the circus that um weren't um ideal how did you how did it kind of become more of a serious thing for you i mean did you did you always know that you wanted to make a career out of it um, no like we um we did pony club and then we did uh, all the pony club stuff, mounted games and uh, and then eventing and show jumping. And um, we had uh, a lot of fun doing that and traveling around Australia. And we used to do a lot of show jumping shows and go to the uh, country fairs. And, and that was... Uh, it was just a, a little bit of, of a way of life it ended up being. And um, and then eventually we got the, uh, I got a horse called Countdown. Um, he was um, an Australian stock horse that we bought out of the local paper. And he ended up um, being a incredible cross country horse and he took me through Pony Club and then to my first five-star. When did, I guess, you decide that you wanted to move your career to the U.S.? So equine influenza hit um, the Australian, well, hit Australia. It was, uh, it was a huge um, shock to uh, everything um, that was equine-related and it shut down racing, show jumping, eventing, uh, anything to do with equestrian. You you weren't allowed to um, you weren't allowed to transport a horse, and um, and there was uh, huge fines and uh, jail time if you if you were caught driving uh, driving a horse around Australia hadn't ever had a influenza issue and so they've never had a the horses weren't vaccinated and then it came through on a a shuttle stallion from japan and it just spread like a wildflower and um it uh it was nothing going on there and i thought of all if 
now's not the time. It'll never be the time. So we uh, got on a, I sold everything that I owned, my car, horse, truck, all my horses, a couple of saddles and um, jumped on a plane and, and turned up at True Prospect Farm. And did you know anybody there or did you just decide I'm I'm going to go go ahead and just make this leap? Yeah, I'd actually the year before I had uh, come over for a couple of months and and based with Philip Dutton and I had a horse that I brought over with me that I was aiming for Kentucky and he actually sustained an injury in the preparation and didn't end up running so he was um i left him over here when i went home and uh sort of figuring i sort of had it in the back of my mind that that might be a an option to move over here but when the uh equine influenza hit it was uh it was a sign that it was time it's time to leave the motherland did you notice any big differences between riding in Australia versus the U.S.? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's very uh, Australia is awesome, but it was it's very simple, and uh, the the way that the events were run and the the arenas were set up, and um, it would all it would all be very very basic, but it was all practical and did the job. And then coming over here and, and like your, your little uh, weekend horse trial over here is like what the five star looks like in, in Australia. So it was, yeah, it was a big difference. Can you talk a little bit about your overall training philosophy? Um, the... The main thing that I would be focused on with all the horses is progression and to to always start out easy or make it very obvious to the horse and um and then build on that and start to challenge them from that and um, cross country uh training for our uh four-year-old horse through to a five-star event horse is to still have that progression when you go out there um, introducing the exercise or the question to the horse at no matter what age or what level and make sure that they understand it and and build off that so the horse is never is um, never doubted the rider, and and then when so when you go to an event and you're asking him to do something where he's jumping into an area where he can't see the landing, or he's uh, jumping a, a narrow fence or a, uh, off a blind turn, he's n- He's never, you've never doubted him before or put him in a situation where he hasn't been able to do it. And, and so he never questions you and he'll always perform. So that, 
that's the way I think about things to always never be chancy and never when you train never take a a risk and be very like methodical and and spell it out to the horse so he's uh, very understanding and confident in in what you're asking him to do and then he'll never question you when you're out on course and speaking about your your training philosophy and how you kind of like to build a progression it it's a nice segue to um to your article that you did with us back in 2017 where you shared how you like to kind of build a progression when introducing horses to cross-country corners and the first step you talked about in the article was kind of developing the correct canner to jump corners could you kind of describe what the right canner should be what it feels like how you achieve that yeah that's a good question it's uh might be a little bit hard for me to voice it's more of a, a feel but i'll try um so it's obviously different to galloping down to a a brush fence or or a, a triple bar in the show jumping you're you're going to be a little bit more balanced it's an accuracy fence so the the chances of a run out are greater than what they are on a a straight table so it might have the same width element and height but you've got uh, an angle element to account for so you need to set up a little bit more than what you would for a, a gallop fence and just give the horse a moment to read it and then um, so it would just be slightly more balanced and take a take a, a moment in the approach so the the horse has time to read the question and a, a little bit more a little bit more collected in your gallop than what it would be for just taking on a regular sort of table and depending on how the corner was placed often they'll place them um, as a b element from um either a, a drop or um on a turn or out of water so depending on what's happening before can um also play uh, into effect on how you get to the corner but yeah it, basically whatever um it is if it's a a corner out in the middle of a field or if it's in a combination you just want to be able to have a have your gallop or your canter a little bit more contained so you give the horse that extra moment to read the the question and and then the rider to be confident where they are and um, support them on the last couple of strides so that they read the question and, and jump through and land and, and gallop away to the next fence. And then the, the second step in the article you had riders doing is practicing a simulated corner in the arena with show jumps before going out and just jumping a cross-country corner in a cross-country field. Yeah. Um, can you just kind of walk yeah. through, you know, why you do that and kind of how you set up that exercise, how you ride that exercise? Yeah, so that um, 
it's a good introduction to to break it down um, as much as for the horse, but also for the rider as well. Sometimes it can be a bit daunting for a rider to go out and jump a solid cross-country corner. And if they've done it in the ring, you know, with a barrel and some rails, it, it's going to they're going to feel better about doing it over a solid um, corner out in the cross country and you can um, you can make it really basic, uh, put the barrel on the side even and, and put the, the rail, the front rail down and have it angled so it's a soft sort of, uh, ascending uh, front rail and get the rider and the horse to, to jump through that and and then build it up so then the the rails are, are square and and then in, even go next step to have it so that the barrel is standing up and depending on the level obviously and and that that sort of stems from australia i think is we didn't have a lot of schooling places so we would make a lot of the cross-country jumps um, out of what we had, and that would be these 44-gallon drums that uh, we would pick up from a, a factory, and um, and we'd use them, would jump them on their uh, on their own as guinea fences, and then would use them as um, show jumps as well. Would put uh, two or four of them together to make a vertical or an oxer, and um, and then play around with them to to make corners as well so uh, i think it's a it's a good way to get the idea and and get the the horse and the rider confident in jumping um a corner built out of rails and barrels and then uh, once they feel good over that then they can go and tackle it out in the cross-country field over a, a solid corner and uh you mentioned earlier that um riders you'll notice more runouts with corners are there any other common kind of issues you notice riders struggling with with corners and how do you troubleshoot those i remember jumping uh i was at a, a pony it was a pony club clinic in uh in australia it's in the south of new south wales at a, a farm called uh, mirabooka and they had ran an event there and I was having a cross country lesson with the Australian great event rider Shane Rose and he was teaching us how to how to jump a corner and and basically you want to aim for so there's there's a narrow part of the corner that you're gonna chance having a glance off and then there's going to be a wide part of the corner which is going to be asking too much of an effort for the horse to to clear so you want to pick somewhere in between the widest part of the corner that you would feel comfortable jumping and the narrowest part of the corner which you would feel comfortable jumping and aim for that so you've got a little margin of error left or right and then you're going to bisect the angle. So sometimes you don't get 
the chance to bisect the angle because the course designer has um, designed it in such a way that you've got the A element holds you on a certain line. But if you don't have that A element, you want to bisect the angle and then jump the bisected corner at a right angle to uh, to that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I remember Shane Rose telling me I was probably 11 years old and it, it stuck with me uh, till now. So you're also known for being an incredibly strong and consistent cross-country rider. Um, at the national level in 2019, out of 199 rounds, you jumped 198 clear. And the year before, you jumped all 114 rounds clear with 97 of those inside the time, which is incredibly remarkable. Uh, what is it about your riding or your program that you think has led to such consistent results? That it's a little um, like I, I think it's pretty awesome to have that that said. I, I hadn't um, like I, I didn't realize that until um, Equiratings um, posted it, and I think that like I go out on cross country course um on every horse that i ride with the expectation that there is no doubt in my mind that we're coming home clear um i feel that uh the preparation to get to the event is very important and what i touched on before about having progression in not only obviously the the way to move up the levels but to school any horse at any level every time you school and to to make them so confident and believe in you that when you leave the start box there's no doubt in the horse's mind and there's no doubt in the rider's mind and and that's uh that's the way i think about it and when when you're competing do you have a routine like uh, a routine is like my warm-up or yeah um, either like if you have a specific warm-up that you do or if you you know have a way you like to get ready whether that's kind of taking quiet time or watching rounds or or anything of that, um, that you think prepares you not really I think that up until like a a four or five star it would be pretty stock stock standard to get on and um and warm up as as normal uh, at a four or five star i would um i would take a little bit of time to a little bit more time to break the course down and um and really have it clear in my mind and, and try to if possible to watch a couple of horses go through some combinations and get a feel of how it's how the horses are uh, reading the questions and making a, a judgment from there but apart from that like my standard horse trial the homework would be done the week before and we'd be at the show ready to rumble 
And do you get nervous at all? I would. Uh, I do at uh, advanced, um, but levels. Well, it depends on what I'm writing, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, typically, the lower levels, um, it's it's just a. It feels like it's just another uh, a training ride, like as if I was getting on at at home at the show. Um, but yeah, there has been some horses that have made me nervous at the lower levels. Um, but typically, it's more um, at the advanced. I would, yeah, I think I'd get nervous there, but in a in a good way that it was make me think that I was not taking anything for granted and um, being very serious and and focused on what was about to come. And you've certainly had a lot of competitive successes. Are there any successes or wins or just competitions in general that you were really happy with the result and it's kind of stuck with you? For sure. Um, uh, I think that um, taking Woodstock Bennett to his first five-star in France, we um, we came eighth at Poe, and that was uh, a huge moment uh, for for me and his owners. And uh, it was great to be able to share it with um, Karen Simpson, who has been an owner of Bennett since he was four years old so it was, uh, it was a really special event and um, and then another uh, standout was um, I can't remember what year I think it might have been 2016 at Bromont and uh, Frankie won the now four-star short and Bennett won the four-star long at the same weekend. Um, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, and then going back from there, finishing my first Kentucky, uh, my first Kentucky on uh, Fernhill Classic, and that uh, that was a, a pretty awesome moment too. They're the standouts. You just mentioned, um, obviously, some very important, influential horses. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about them, about, you know, the horses in your life who have kind of stood out to you and what they're like personality-wise, what they're like to ride? Yeah. Um, so those three that we uh, just mentioned, they're all very, very different. Um, they're all very talented in their their own ways i think that the biggest thing is they had the obviously one they had the ability but more so they had the desire and i think that you can get caught up in the the way if a horse moves phenomenal or jumps incredible it doesn't mean that it's going to be a world beater and these horses were were solid movers and jumpers but they weren't freaks and they they all 
I all I had them all from um, four-year-olds, and so they were all in the program and until they got to that top level, and um, they all came to work every day and um, and wanted to do it. So yeah, it's uh, the the similarity is that having a horse that uh, is willing rather than having the big fancy mover or the big flashy jumper um, they don't always have that willing nature for the cross country and and that's I think um, a big component what I'm looking at horses now is um, more that they have the desire and the the mind and the trainability and then comes the the movement and the the carefulness on after that but it's uh i think it's important to start with a horse that actually wants to work and wants to do the job and when you're looking at horses how do you kind of I mean, is it kind of a matter of riding a lot of different horses and figuring out which ones kind of have that skill set or like have that desire? How do you kind of approach um, picking horses? That's a that's a good question. It's something that I'm always discussing with my peers and my mentors, and I'm still trying to figure that out. But mm-hmm. I think that if you like, if you tell yourself, okay, I'm gonna going to go on a horse shopping trip and don't feel that you have to come home with a horse. So whether it's in America or it's overseas, you, if you've, if you've got to talk yourself into it, it's not the right one. And that's a, you got to be really honest with yourself. And, and if you've got to, watch the video multiple times to be happy with what you are purchasing it's probably not the right one I think that you've got to ride it and get off it and say this is the one Mm -hmm. and and that's uh, I think it's obviously it's a rare thing to do and I've been on shopping trips and um, come home with the right horses and I've come home with the wrong horses and I've come home without horses. So it's still something that is it's not foolproof, but I think that's a, a good gauge to keep with you is to be honest with yourself and if you've got to talk yourself into it, probably not the right one and this is obviously a sport that has a lot of highs but it also has a lot of lows um how do you kind of keep things in check or deal with things when they're not quite going your way that's a great question and i i think that it's uh probably an important one for people to hear and people to talk about because there are a lot of there's probably more lows than highs in general and there'll be streaks where you are winning everything and then there'll be streaks when 
you can't get anything to go your way. And um, I think it's important to have the right people around you and they've been through what uh, they've been through the highs and the lows. So they know um, exactly what you're going through and then you can be, be there for them. And, and to, to just keep on pushing as well and, um, and, and don't dwell on it um, and to just find something positive to work towards and um, whether it's uh, nice young horses that are coming through or you go and find a, a new horse to, to bring along or, or whatever it is, uh, if you go start focusing on another aspect of your riding and say, okay, I've got this downtime because my top horse is it's got to have six months off that I can I can still ride dressage and um, I'm going to make this six months count. So when I'm back eventing, I'm going to be that much more competitive after dressage and I'm going to find ways like that. Hmm. What do you think is your favorite part about the sport or just riding or getting to work with horses every day in general? It's a yeah, it's a fantastic life that we live. We we're outside. We're doing what we love to do. We get to see some incredible places. We travel the world, uh, doing competitions. I think that what makes the highs so high is the the time, the effort, the struggle. Uh, the setbacks and the knockdowns that you've had to then get that win or get that top candidate five star it uh, it makes it that much you appreciate it that much more and um, and then you you can celebrate your friends that get there because you've seen what they've gone through to get there i think that uh, it's such a it's a lo- such a, a long road to get there and it's such an awesome feat for someone to to do it that um it's uh, it's an awesome feeling when it when it goes well at the top it certainly seems like uh, community is definitely a big part of eventing, maybe even more so than other sports. Do you feel like that's true? For sure, for sure. I think um, I think there's a factor that it, it is like it's uh, any sport, whether it's equestrian or cycling or football whatever to be at the top it's a lot a lot of hard work and years of training i think that the thing that is different about eventing is that the the risk factor is much greater and i think that everyone wants their competitors to come home safely and i think that's what brings eventing community close 
just one last question. Um, do you have any hobbies out of the saddle or what, what do you enjoy doing when you're not riding? Uh, not, I don't, not really. I, uh, <laughs> I don't really have time. I probably should make time, but I'm so absorbed in eventing and, and horses and, um, and searching for the next superstar that that consumes me um but if i could say something i actually did have a hit of tennis yesterday with a fellow australian uh sally uh lofting and that was a it was a breath of fresh air and uh it was it was something that i thought I should make an effort to do something like this once a week, and uh, it yeah, it it was a lot of fun. So yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take up tennis once a week. So watch for Ryan at Wimbledon in a couple of years. <laughs> uh, far from that, far from that. <laughs> yeah, it's just good to do something different. Great. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Good talking to you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and thanks again to this episode's sponsor, SmartPack. Join us again for upcoming conversations with the legendary show jumper Katie Monahan Prudant, hunter trainer and rescue founder Ron Danta, and eventer Courtney Cooper. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast.